0: What I value about yoga is its ability to enrich your life in the present moment by enhancing connections. On a physical level, I use yoga to lovingly encourage the circulation of energy and consciousness throughout my body. Simon Borg-Olivier. This is a quote from Simon Borg-Olivier's website. Simon is a yoga teacher studied under the likes of Teachers such as BKS Inga, Patabi Joyce, and many others. Been teaching since 1982. He's a physiotherapist, a university lecturer, a business owner, co-founder of uh, Yoga Synergy, and a very warm and wonderful human being. I met Simon last year, late last year, at a workshop a posture movement and breathing workshop that was held in Melbourne that opened up to me in to my awareness about a week prior to when it was held and there were still some spots available so I jumped into it and ironically I'd been reading and devouring a lot of Simon's work in the year prior to this specifically a lot of his work on movement and breathing and I recommend jumping over to his website checking out lot of his blog posts and videos and he's got some courses as well which is really good and we resonated or we connected straight away and and I knew that when he walked in he was somebody who I wanted to connect with further and, and the first thing I did is started to look at a teacher training he was holding in Goa in India which I didn't end up going to uh, as something for the future uh, however I continued to follow his work and connected with him a little bit on Instagram, of all things, and sent out a little message and said, hey, would you like to be on the podcast? And I was obviously surprised and delighted when he replied, yes, come on down to Bondi and let's have a conversation. So on Monday, I popped down to Bondi Junction and we hung out for a few hours and recorded about 70 minutes of a conversation a podcast where we talk about all things movement and breathing we even go into business we go into stress we go into lifestyle we go into a lot of really cool stuff and i hope you enjoy this is john marsh here and you're listening to the access potential podcast Firstly, uh, really exciting for me to talk to you today. Um, it was, I think I was calculating September, October last year when I popped into your workshop. It was a pleasure to have you there and thank you for having me here today. Oh, yeah, it was, it was it was wonderful. Obviously, I followed a lot of your work. It was a movement and breathing workshop and there was probably 25 yoga teachers, I think it was, and, and people from that background and I came in from it sort of the gym background but had devoured a lot of your work and so just really nice to get the conversation and, and thanks for making the time for me today. It's such a pleasure. I really appreciate your work actually it's um, what you're practicing and doing and what
1: you show online is actually a very high level of training which is which is you know really amazing. It's uh, it's, it's quite wonderful to see and watch.
0: Yeah it's um, I think this journey you know coming in towards and we'll obviously talk a little about the movement and the breathing and uh, some of the other stuff, but I think probably for me finding for your work was through a series of uh, a couple of different directions. But uh, personally, a lot of roadblocks or, or burnouts type things. So going too much, doing too too much of the wrong thing, and then coupled, I guess, with a little bit of the uh, meditation and, and sort of finding things aligning that way as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was really nice to finally come across something where as soon as at the very beginning, when I started to read and and sort of digest what you were kind of talking about from what I could tell then, uh, there was great alignment with what I was feeling and had experienced myself. So you don't often get that sort of alignment. So it felt really great. And then even from when you came in for the workshop, the energy was really nice as well. It's oh, really nice. So I thought maybe uh, to begin with, if you could just give, and I know you probably do this quite often, So I do apologize if that's the case, but maybe a bit of introduction for the listeners on your introduction to, I know you've been teaching since 82, was it? Yes. Maybe just a little bit about your introduction towards, uh, whether that be yoga or movement and breathing or anything that sort of comes to mind for you and how it all began. Okay. Yeah. Well, when I was a child, when I was about six I had trouble swimming so my father realized
1: I couldn't swim on top of the water so he was a free diver and he taught me how to swim underwater and with that I learned how to hold my breath for quite extended periods of time and uh, not long after that when I was about 80 years old there was a family friend who was a Rhodesian Olympic uh, athlete he had learned a lot of yoga in South Africa, and he taught me what essentially is the, the Bandhas that are the core of um, of traditional Hatha Yoga, where you learn how to move the internal organs and control your abdominal muscles and trunk muscles and chest muscles and create partial vacuums uh, inside the body, which medically are called mueller manoeuvres and Valsalva manoeuvres. And this, you know, can create tremendous uh, internal pressures and internal energy and they have to be done usually with the breath held so my father's training before that helped me a lot and uh, what I found later was that it actually changes uh, the tissue density inside the body so um, via a wolf's law type effect where um, if you put pressure on any part of the body like say a martial artist who might punch a tree and then they build up you know, density around the tissues. If you increase the internal pressure inside the body, you actually build the body's strength from the inside out. So you build up the strength of the blood vessel walls and things like this. Mm. And uh, that was a training that I got when I was young. And uh, I think any training that you get in your youth stays with you a lot more easily through life. Mm. Whereas uh, training that you get, you know, past about 20 years old, often I think it causes more problems than good and I I try and tell most of my adult uh, uh, clients nowadays that look, if you're not flexible and strong now don't make too much effort trying to develop too much more strength and flexibility just be happy with what you've got try not to get worse Mm. to a certain extent I think that makes more sense but I was happy for myself that I got the the training I did from my father and and this uh, Basil Brown chap when I was young and uh, I sort of Enjoyed doing exploration in the forest when I was a, uh, in you know in the, in the Australian bush, and I used to go climbing and walking, and a lot of it was a playful exploration of um, what it would be like to have been an indigenous person. And I used to take off my clothes and walk, you know, pretty much naked through the bush and explore ways of not being cut by the forest, you know, because obviously if you're running through the through the Australian bush and you've got clothes on, you tend to just bush bash and just knock over trees and things. So I thought, what would it be like if I didn't wear clothes and I'd find myself weaving and exploring through the the trees and not stepping on sharp bits, not hitting myself. And this was a type of flexibility and movement training, which, you know, led to all sorts of fun discovery. And I was climbing a lot at that time as well. Then in my late teens, I met a Tibetan Lama who sort of adopted me and uh, looked after me for a couple of years and gave me a lot of philosophy of yoga and a lot of esoteric exercises, which took me about 15 years to process what he was on about. I mean, still I reflect on what he was saying. And then after that, I um, went to university and uh, realized that if I was going to stay at university, I had to do some exercise because I, I felt I was a bit not doing exercise, not conventional exercise. So I started weight training and a little bit of um, circuit training, aerobics and stuff like that, aerobics got popular in the early 80s. And, um, and that was fun, but after running around the tracks for about you know, a couple of years, I started to get shin splints and knee problems. And at one point, I couldn't run anymore. And the teacher relegated to sticking me in a corner and just saying, you just jog on the spot. And it was really uninteresting. So I said, do you have anything I can do to, to, you know, fix this up? And they said, try this stretching exercise. And she gave me a stretch, which was an esoteric yoga stretch. And I did it and it fixed my knees. And I said, do you have more of these stretches? And she said, come to my stretch class. And so I went along to this stretch class, and it was okay, it was fine, just basic stretching. Then one day, the gym where she worked, the... Um the teacher was absent and the gym realized they had to get another teacher in so they rang up the Ayenga association Ayenga yoga association and they brought this real yoga teacher someone who trained very well and when they came the stretches they gave were with intelligent information like don't just stretch actually push your foot this way press this this way tighten this muscle release this muscle and it made a complete difference and that set me on a path which eventually led me to India to study with BKS Ayanga, and Joyce and Before I got there, I met some quite remarkable teachers who actually live in Australia. One of him, one of which is uh, Professor Bim Dev, who now lives in Hornsby. And in 1972, he was the All India gold medalist in yoga, and that type of yoga was not just you know, stretching yoga, he was the sort of person who can, um, you know, put an iron bar onto his throat or a a spear on his throat and bend it with the intra-abdominal pressure, putting up to, you know, neck pressure. And he could even, you know, get a, a metal rod, which is maybe two or three metres thick and as thick as your thumb or actually thicker than my thumb and, you know, I can't bend it over my thigh but he'd put it on his eyeball, one end on his eyeball, one end on his, one end on the wall and then just push into it and creating an intra-abdominal pressure which comes into intra-thoracic pressure and then intracranial pressure and with the intracranial pressure coming out of his eye, he can bend the eyeball and he blew me out. You wow. know, he would lie on bed of nails and we'd put 60 kilo rocks of concrete onto his chest and smash them open with a sledgehammer you know, you can. Um, he would attach chains to his arms, and cars would drive in opposite direction. And so he taught me, you know, different types of breath control. And it was after meeting him I went to India. But he really was um, a big influence in me. And uh, after years of teaching, I taught, you know, for about ten years then. And uh, with, with the training I'd got from my Japanese teachers, who, you know, I had a Japanese policeman who, who taught me some Japanese martial arts along with yoga. And that was my first teacher training course in the early 80s. And, uh, and it was up, after that I went to India I learned the Iyengar and Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga things. But then after about 10 years of teaching, I realized I didn't really understand. You know, some of the things I was learning and practicing were helping me, but some of the things I had were not being helped. Like around 20 years old, I, I broke my neck in, a, in an accident. I um, had several car accidents which damaged parts of my spine. I I had ruptured my lungs when I was uh, about 16 years old. And know chemical accident and I dislocated my knee when I was twenty five in, in a dance club one night when someone fell on me, and numerous things like this and and actually I, I got stabbed when I was about um, <laughs> when I was about um, thirty in India, and it caused a lot of internal problems so at about thirty three years old after teaching for ten years or so, I realized that not everything I was doing was working helped me a lot, but it wasn't helping me completely, it wasn't helping my students completely, although I was getting good results, not everyone came back to class. So I thought, maybe I'm missing something. So I went back to university and I did my third degree in biology, which was a a physiotherapy degree. So I became a physiotherapist. This was about 25 years ago. And physiotherapy helped me a lot, get a bit of better understanding in anatomy and physiology. But it sort of set me off on a funny path. It, It suddenly became yoga, which was very holistic and complete. I went back to a much more reductionist scientific approach to, you know, you work with your knee, you work just with your knee, you know, you work with anatomy, it's just muscles and bones. And uh, this path was okay, but then I realised that still it was missing, and I um, it took another ten years then before I started to realise I've got to go back to a holistic path, and I, I met a couple of Chinese teachers along the way, and they sort of set me straight a little bit more, and I started to realise to go back to working holistically, and I could actually help musculoskeletal problems by working much more with um, enhancing blood flow and nerve function. And so nowadays I work much more on a, I think, more holistic anatomical physiological way where I'm working to try and bring anatomy and physiology together in the body and looking more not for short-term gains in... Uh, strength flexibility and fitness which are useful but as i got older now i'm, I'm you know 60 next year i realized that what i'm more interested in is just living as long as possible and staying as healthy as possible and i find that although i can take the effort to build up strength and flexibility i don't expect it to be like it was when i was you know 25 30 but if i do make a little bit of effort I feel good and I function. If I make more than a little bit of effort and focus too much on strength or flexibility, then I find the risk of injury is much greater and injuries don't heal as well as you get older. So I'm settling back to be more intelligent about how I practice and work towards doing practices which give me more energy at the end of the practice rather than less give me a feeling of more vitality at the end of the practice and more functional abilities without the sense of that post-workout strain and exhaustion that sometimes people feel.
0: And I think when you're younger, you can handle
1: that better. You recover a bit quicker, but that's what I'm sort
0: of more doing now, I think. And so just to round that out, so now you do, uh, I've seen your, obviously you experienced one of your workshops. What else are you running currently? You know, I, I think. I think all of... My peers, everyone I talk to, should at least go to one of these workshops. Oh, wonderful. Um, but what else is going on at the moment as well? Look, I teach at the university in Melbourne, the RMIT University, and we have
1: two courses that, that run various times in different years. One is called Body, Breath and Movement, which um, I, uh, I teach all over the world, and depending on who I'm talking to, if it's a bunch of fitness instructors at a fitness convention, I'll call it something like body, breath and movement. But um, sometimes I'll also teach yoga teachers and I'll call it the applied anatomy and physiology of yoga. But I prefer just applied anatomy and physiology of posture, movement, breathing, mental control. And that's a course that I teach. And you know, it's a little bit more theoretical than just a yoga workshop like you went to, although it has elements of what we did that day. And, um, and then I have another course called um, Yoga Fundamentals, which I teach online and live, where I teach a basic course, which is um, looks like what most people teach in the modern vinyasa yoga classes, but I try and teach it with an intelligence that I've gathered over the years based on all my wonderful teachers. So it's not just a bunch of postures which people fall into and then just somehow fix up the mess they fall into. I try and link them together with intelligent uh, movement patterns and and by creating active movement from the core, I try and trigger reflexes and uh, and create patterns that create intelligent muscle activations and relaxations along the way. And And I find this I can apply to any... Uh, conventional yoga system and I can also apply it to other systems and sports as well but um and the third thing I teach both online and uh, and around the world is therapy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes if I go to a yoga school, I'll call it yoga therapy, but I don't actually like using that word because to me the word yoga means complete and whole and well, and therapy means something's wrong and you have to fix it up. So I prefer to call it uh, the therapeutic applications of posture, movement, breathing, and mental control. But essentially I'm an exercise-based physiotherapist, you know, so it depends on who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. If someone has never heard the word yoga or thinks it's nonsense, I'll tell them I'm an exercise-based physiotherapist. If someone is a little bit more you know, into holistic principles, I might call it more to do with using yoga to help you. But in the end, I do the same thing either way. And they're the main things I do, I think. And also I do um, teacher training. Mm-hmm. And so teacher training for people who want to teach any sort of posture movement and breathing. And I do um, a special program, which I think gives a better result for most people, which I think is what we did in the morning of the day that I saw you, where I just do a simple set of spinal movements Mm -hmm. and joint movements, Mm -hmm. which don't for many people look like modern yoga. In fact, many people think it looks more like tai chi or qigong. But I think that works better for most people to get a result, which gives a balance between um, creating healthy anatomy, muscles, bones, joints, flexibility and strength, and healthy physiology, meaning more... um, making sure that their immune system, reproductive system, digestive system, nervous system, cardiopulmonary system will work better for longevity and health and well-being.
2: Mm. And
1: so I do that. And if I had to choose what I'd prefer to do, I'd prefer to actually teach just that because I think it works very good as a therapy on all levels. And I think it's something that if most yoga teachers adopted that, they would get a better result. And and also I think for, for fitness training... Uh, you know where you know there is high level training obviously where you teach very special things but at a very simplistic level to train most people i find it's the best
0: way of training most people for simple health benefits mm. yeah <clears throat> a lot of the people anyone who's been kind of reading my stuff for a while like i i'm i'm kind of calling for this slow overhaul that's still taking it seems like forever in the fitness industry that we'll be looking back 10, 15 years from now and just kind of wonder what the hell were we doing for that yes. period, you know, kind of from that late <laughs> aerobics period through till now it's still in full flight, but yeah. you know, with this this intensity do you know who Kelly Slater is? I've heard of them, remind me. Yeah, so 11-time world champion uh, surfer Yes, yes. Um, both the youngest and the oldest surfer on tour Wow. Still going um, kind of a demigod in the surfing yes. world. And Also, he wrote a book called For the Love, also very aware, very uh, seemingly very special person. I've never met him face to face. Uh, And a very gentle energy, very, very kind of loving sort of energy that you see kind of coming from him. And he did an interview with uh, this guy, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan asked him, so what are you doing to keep yourself fit. So he was, you know, 42, 43, I think at the time, still winning, still beating guys who were in their 20s. Yeah. You know, big ears, all of these crazy tricks. What are you still doing to keep yourself, is it the strength, is it the endurance training you're doing, all of this stuff? And he just replied, he said, "Uh, I don't tend to overexert myself. You know, I let my surfing do my work. And and he, he generally keeps everything, I don't strain yes. you know? and I want to kind of open up this conversation because for me where I'm kind of sitting is this intersection between kind of stress, business and movement Yes, and this exercise thing yes. and it's all coming to a head in one area because as a sole trader or a business owner yes. as you know there's a lot that comes into that stress, business. Yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. so this carrying on kind of from what Kelly Slater said what happened in the exercise industry or what do you see happening? Uh, you know, Because Joe Rogan replied, well, I'm currently in this challenge with my friend where I'm burning 5,000 calories a day and doing five hours of training. And it, it was remarkable the difference in the energy between the two guys and how well Kelly Slater is performing. I see a similar energy. When you walked in, there's this, there's this really nice energy and youthfulness and vitality that – is kind of rare with anyone who's involved in, I'm going to use the word, exercise industry. Yes. What's what's happened? And uh, maybe just speak a little bit about that, what you see going on. I think
1: that many people are working towards a type of exercise which overstimulates the sympathetic nervous system And I think the way most people and most conventional thought works with exercise is it's doing things to the body uh, with the idea that you're trying to promote rapid gains in either strength, flexibility or fitness. And so people work themselves, say with weights, for example, they'll lift till failure and, you know, maybe it's a nine-repetition maximum where you decide it to be the ninth time you pick something up you can't do anymore till maybe after a rest or the next day or whatever. But the message that you send to the body when you do that is you have failed, you are not good enough. And then with that, you trigger a, probably a fire a fight response and, um, and then at the, you might get, you know, increased uh, build-up of muscle, but then the energy of the body takes away from the energy of, say, the immune system in order to create new muscle mass because it perceives there is external threat. And um, with that, then you may pay a cost physiologically in terms of long-term health because the body thinks it's trying to protect itself in the here and now. And along with that, there's a subconscious message that said one message is you're not good enough right now. And the other message is protect yourself. You know, you better um, adopt a mode of fear perhaps anger, aggression, lack of safety, lack of trust then the same thing happens with flexibility when people stretch to the point where they start to feel the feeling of stretch usually then we're talking about you know maybe micro muscle fiber tears or whatever and then the body perceives oh i'm not long enough i need to get longer so we need to create new you know new more psychomeres or whatever to create increased muscle length so then the energy goes towards doing that and takes away energy away from um you know adequate immune system digestive system reproductive system or hormonal balance or whatever and so then again you've got this thing of you're not long enough you're not adequate you um you know you need to protect yourself from external threat and dominant emotions become fear anger aggression lack of safety and the same thing happens i think when we do a fitness training where the fitness training includes um increased respiration or increased you know minute ventilation and increased uh, heart rate mm. so then i think the body also interprets that to be you know you're running away from something mm. there's some sort of problem and and although On the outside, we're thinking, I'm in an exercise class, I'm doing exercise. Maybe the subconscious mind is thinking flight or fight. And then with that flight or fight, maybe you are going to develop a a better aerobic capacity. But along with that, these subconscious messages are taking place in the body of fear, anger, aggression, lack of safety, lack of trust, lack of love. And the uh, internal physiology is gearing towards fixing you up for here and now and not planning for long-term Uh, health and well-being and longevity to live forever you know like forever so i think this is a mistake that's happened in the western world which is not so much there in the eastern world like um my teachers coming from india and china and i think also i can probably say the same from the ones in japan thailand and the philippines which i've also had their basic concept and it's expressed in many texts in India is the yogi counts their life not by the number of years they live but by the number of beats their heart makes and the number of breaths they take with the idea that the less you breathe the less you make your heart rate increase the longer you live and that we only have a number of heartbeats and a number of breaths and you know realistically the heart is a muscle which works 24 hours a day why the hell would you want to make it work more the diaphragm when it's working is the one is the muscle that really has to work pretty much 24 hours a day and when it doesn't work usually it's a sign, a sign of um, ill health you know, and if you can't sleep without your diaphragm working, you know, you're constantly struggling. So really to make the diaphragm work more, to make the, to more breathing, you know, more breathing usually in hospitals is a sign of ill health. Mm-hmm. Uh, increased heart rate usually is a sign of ill health. And, when, you know, I think I said it in my course with you that You know, if you see a person who's running really fast and their heart's hardly beating and they're hardly breathing at all, we consider them fit. But someone who's walking slowly and panting and breathing and heart racing, you go, that person's really sick. So why are we working towards making ourselves look sick and unhealthy? And the same with flexibility and strength. When someone picks up a really heavy weight and you don't see any expression on their face, it looks like it's just really easy for them. You don't go, oh, you know, that's that's a weak person. You go, that's a really strong person. They're not showing any signs of tension. The less sign of tension we sow, the more it expresses that you're actually doing something easy and the body perceives it to be easy. Same with flexibility. When you see a rhythmic gymnast do, you know, a beautiful set of 10 backflips, land of the splits, put one foot behind their head, and they don't even blink to look like it exerted anything, you don't go, oh, they're not stretching. You go, that's a flexible person. As soon as you feel a stretch, you know, you've come to the limit of your flexibility. So I think we should avoid feeling the feeling of stretch and tension and heart racing and breathing if you want long-term health. But nevertheless, you want to still move blood through the body, feel you know the muscles need to work, joints need to move, and you know you want to get oxygen to your cells. But I look for a practice which creates flexibility without the feeling of stretching. Uh, create you know, creates. Strengthen your body without the feeling of tension, creates uh, blood flow without the heart racing, and gives you energy and you know manifestable energy that you can feel with what you do throughout the day, and your uh, reduced needs for sleep and food is an expression of that, uh, without the having to breathe so much and without having to eat so much or sleep so much. And actually, you know, when when the practice is good, you should be able to feel energy around the body as well, like a field of energy, and that, you know, when you practice in certain ways, I think you can feel. And also, I think what manifests a stress inside the body for many people is when they get complicated exercises, where to really make it work you have to really think a lot, then that becomes a stress. And I think the exercises you can do which are... Leading to a more in the zone type feeling or a meditative state, I think that's much better for long term health. Now, for for many people, meditation is just too boring. You know, because if you're just sitting doing nothing, it's boring and the mind drifts off. So, I think the real concept of meditation is grossly misunderstood. I think for meditation, it has to be an activity, not necessarily a static activity, but an activity which is sustainable, something you can keep doing for a while. But it's also engaging. You feel engaged. You feel connected in the present moment and some people can do that sitting still but most can't so a moving activity usually works better and uh, it also has to be um, something which keeps you in a calm place where breath and heart rate remain low but most importantly it has to move blood through the body so you have to feel like you know you could sit basically in the snow with no problems, no need for clothes. And real yogis can do that. So I think real meditation in the West is really lost it. There's no meditation if you're sitting in a cold room, getting cold and numb with blankets around you. But if you can sit naked in the snow and and feel warm and the blood is flowing through your body without the heart racing, that would really work. But for for people, normal people like perhaps you and me, because I can't sit naked in the snow for a long period of time, if I move in certain ways, I can do that in the cold and blood will flow to my fingers without my heart
0: racing. So for me, that satisfies the requirements a lot better. Just a little quick dive maybe into this concept. Uh, <clears throat> the program that I run, one of the one of the modules is called Energy Generation. You nice. were an influence when I created oh, this. Nice. Um, there's some different pillars, the breath, perception, uh, nourishment with movement and a few other things. Uh, this concept of energy generation and warming, this this warming, maybe tying back to the breathing. Um maybe we don't go hugely down the breathing hole because we could, it's we could a talk, path. yeah, we could talk yes. for another day. Yeah. But this concept of breathing less, um, uh, you know, maybe CO two cultivation, the warming, what's going on there versus this picture that some people might have in their mind of uh you know, uh, a heavier breathing pattern or even a forced breathing pattern or or an audible, something that's more audible, you know, they've been taught how to breathe. Yes, yes. Um, Talk to us a little bit about this concept of subtle breathing or less breathing or hypoventilation and this warming that you're describing uh, that you just mentioned there. Okay, I think um, when we're talking
1: about breathing, then it's also important to talk about the purpose of breathing, which is to get oxygen to your cells. So if we're talking about getting oxygen to the cells of, say, your big toe, and I use big toe because it's the furthest part away from your mouth probably, then um, you've got to do two things. You've got to get blood there first. And so once you've got the blood there, then you've got to get oxygen from the blood into the cells. But the process of getting blood to your big toe is something which has to be done by the cardiovascular system. And most people take too much on the emphasis on the cardio part and not the vascular. And so apart from the heart, there are what I've counted 11 other ways of moving blood through the body. And they include simple things like the musculoskeletal pump, turning muscles on and turning them off. And many people don't turn muscles off. You know, you see these uh, gym people who walk around with every muscle tight the whole time and there's definition on their muscles. But if there's at no time with the muscles stop being defined, those muscles are never turned off, which means with a muscle, I think most textbooks say that if a muscle is more than about 15 to 25% uh, maximum activity, maximum tension, then it starts to retard blood flow. So, You need to relax muscles enough for the blood to flow naturally. And by turning them on and off, blood flows better. You can take advantage of gravity as a blood flow mechanism. And by simply, say, lifting your arm up and then bringing it back down, that will move blood through gravity alone. Um, You can also use uh, postures to change your blood flow, especially active postures, where you've got one muscle shortened and uh, that joint compressed and the opposite muscle lengthened and relaxed which can be done by gentle, simple movements that will move blood very effectively and effectively turn your whole body into one giant heart as opposed to working the little heart inside your chest, you make the whole body into one big heart. You can also use um, co-activation around the various joint complexes, which in yoga you call bandha, but you know, anatomically we call it co-contraction or co-activation. So simply if you lengthen your fingers, that tightens the muscles on either side of the wrist, and that will act to pull blood towards your fingers. And if you compress your fist, that also co-activates the muscles on either side of the wrist, and that pushes blood away from your fingers. You can do the same with. Your feet and there is you know other methods you can use to move blood including centripetal mov- m- movement and um, uh, external pressure changing the temperature around you as well but another one is reducing um, increasing rather the levels of carbon dioxide inside the body and when you increase the levels of carbon dioxide inside your body you get vasodilation the, the blood vessels expand in certain ways and um, and that can help promote blood flow to important places like the head and the heart. So once you've got a good blood flow to your big toe, for example, and you do it in a way which does not stimulate heart rate increase, which would also stimulate flight or fight response to a certain extent, I imagine, then you've got to get the blood to um, release its oxygen and put it to the cells. And at that time, then the... Uh, most essential thing is having an adequately high level of carbon dioxide. And then, as I'm sure you know, via the Bohr effect, then... Uh, hemoglobin carrying oxygen oxyhemoglobin will only release its oxygen to the cells if there is enough carbon dioxide there and on a simplistic level what i what i say to people without an anatomical or physiological background is i say if if blood could talk then uh, you know what you've got to get is if the big toe sense says i want oxygen first it's got to get blood flow there so if you are a person who exercises and you know maybe Maybe you sweat, maybe you get your heart rate up, maybe you breathe a lot and you feel like you've had a workout, but you finish the practice and your fingers and toes are cold. It means the fingers and toes wouldn't have got oxygen. They didn't even get blood, let alone oxygen. So what you need first is to make sure that before you increase heart rate or anything else, at least your fingers are warm. So your toes are warm. And once you've got warmth in your toes, at least you know you've got blood. And When the blood gets to your toes, it might speak to the uh, cells and say, who wants oxygen? I've got oxygen. And the big toe cells might respond by saying, I want oxygen, I want oxygen. And the blood cells will say, okay, show me your carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And the big toe cells say, well, um, uh, I've just been going to this class where we were told to breathe a lot. And I've actually blown off all my carbon dioxide and uh, the hemoglobin will say, well, look, I'm sorry, you know, if you haven't got carbon dioxide, I'm not giving you oxygen. That's why this is called gas exchange, buddy. I'm out of here. And then you don't release the um, carbon dioxide. You don't release the oxygen. The cells don't get oxygen. And then they have to run anaerobically. And uh, as you know, and, and you know, for anyone listening, if you metabolize or burn, say, one sugar molecule and use it to create f- fuel inside a cell, you'll create two energy units, two ATP molecules, which are like energy currency. And um, But if you burn or metabolize uh, a sugar in the presence of oxygen, you get 38 molecules of ATP, basically 19 times much as much energy when you... You burn, your oxygen, you burn fuel, like sugar, with oxygen as opposed to without it. And uh, I think this is really important. So to get oxygen into your cells, essentially you've got to move blood, if possible, without using the heart too much, and you've got to make sure there are adequate levels of carbon dioxide, which means you can't afford to breathe too much. Mm. And obviously you have to breathe more if you exercise more, but the less you have to breathe at whatever activity
0: you're doing, the mm. better results you generally get. So maybe the, uh, one more bit on this on this kind of exercise prescription, then if somebody, say, sitting in a high-stress, or just a normal job, you know, mm-hmm. living, whatever that might be, a lot of desk time, so a lot of a, a closed front line and not a lot of blood flow throughout the day, maybe not a lot of movement, just because of the demands of what they're doing. And maybe there is a little bit of stress, so maybe their breathing's, uh, you know, um, maybe a little bit heightened during the day as well, maybe losing a little bit more CO2 than what might be ideal. And the circulation isn't ideal from that whole kind of mixture of lifestyle, how they're living, how they're breathing. What it sounds like I'm picking up is like they their readiness for, say, that type of exercise might be completely different to someone who, you know, for you, for example, you've been practicing, Mm-mm. you probably could jump into that higher intensity exercise yes. and be totally fine because of the cultivation of CO2, the blood flow throughout the body through your movement, the way the lifestyle has been set up. So is it is it what you're saying then is what we what we kind of need as this industry or as the people who are the experts in the field is to be able to look or even as the individual at our life, at, at at the broader picture, are we fit for what this exercise is, or is it you know do we come into something more gentle? Um, I, I think it's a, it's a complex question, yeah. complex answer. So I think
1: the simplest thing that most people can do, as, as opposed to high level athletes or high level yoga practitioners or anyone. The simplest thing for most people to do to get the effects and the benefits that we want would be that when they're practicing any sort of posture and movement, then restore natural breathing as much as possible. Um, It's very difficult for anyone, even advanced persons, to breathe less than they would normally. And uh, on a very simple level, the average person at rest according to medical texts, will breathe about 5 litres of air every minute, which they usually do by doing between 10 and 20 breaths every minute. And if it's 10 breaths a minute, it's 500 mils per breath. 20 breaths a minute, 250 mils per breath. So when you actually tell someone, breathe less than you do normally, usually as soon as they focus on breathing, they'll breathe more. Mm. And every breath becomes a bit bigger. So to actually breathe less than the equivalent of 5 litres per minute would mean that if you were doing slow breathing you would have to breathe no more than one full lung of air per minute mm-hmm. so say our normal lungs for an average person is about five liters of air I mean small women have three liter lungs you've probably got 10 liter lungs mm-hmm. maybe but the average person has about five liters of air in their lungs so on average if you do less than one full breath a minute that would give you less breathing than what you do if you just sat and watched television but to do that, to breathe less than one breath a minute is very difficult. Mm. So, my suggestion is just don't adopt the principle which many people do, which is, I am exercising, therefore I should breathe more. Mm. Or I'm doing yoga, and yoga is about breathing, therefore I should breathe more. No, you are doing posture, movement, you should think about restoring natural Mm -hmm. breathing. Breathe the same way a child does. And the five things about natural breathing I think that we should focus on are, one is that inhalation should be low rather than high in the chest. Two is that exhalation should be mostly passive, not squeezing the air out with extra muscle tension. Three is that there's not much of it four is that you can forget about the breath it will happen by itself like when you're asleep and you can focus on other things like making sure you don't hurt yourself doing the exercise and five it's through the nose not the mouth and i think if you just adopt those principles then that's the best breathing exercise most people can do for most situations and uh i think you carry on because i I could go on further but but does that answer part of what it does
0: yeah it does uh yeah I think you know to me, it sounds like what you' what really is coming down here is is as a culture as an individual, if there's one thing we can do is become more aware of our breathing yes and if I'm missing three out of those five things, yes. I've got some work to do yeah. Here before I even talk about, you know, what we do in the in the training, for example, exercise. Yes,
1: there was another thing you mentioned, which I can maybe just yeah, clarify. Yeah, sure. And, and that's that um, if you are this office person who's sitting down, not breathing much anyway, then um, breathing can be useful. But the problem is if you tell someone that you're going to get some benefits from breathing, it's actually more complex than most people think. Like, for example, if you look online uh, and you look for something like heart rate variability which mm. is hrv which is people talk a lot about and say it's very good to have, have good uh, increased heart rate variability where basically instead of having the heart rate going boom 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 it's better to go boom 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 yeah. so you know, yeah. it really varies um and that can be done most simply perhaps uh, online, they say, if you just say inhale for six seconds, exhale for six seconds. But the problem is that will work if you don't hyperventilate and if you don't over certain muscles. But most people who try that exercise will often over-breathe, which actually causes reduced blood flow mm-hmm. and, and, and also over-stimulation of the nervous system. And they'll probably breathe deeply into their chest and just cause stress. So a better way maybe of getting people to, say, use their breath to increase heart rate variability and promote some sort of benefits of breathing on that level, might be just to say to someone, just roll your shoulder blades. Just take your shoulders up, forward and down, up slowly, and then down slowly, and if possible in a circle. So you go backward, up, downward, forward, like this. Or if you can, take the arms fully up in the air, forward and up and then arms fully forward and down. And doing that exercise will make someone breathe. If you just breathe naturally, the lifting of the shoulders will make the chest expand, which will suck energy or suck air into the nose without over-breathing. If at the same time you do that exercise of taking arms or shoulders up and then arms or shoulders down, you synchronise it with taking your hips and knees down and up. As the hips go down, you flex your hip joint and then as your hips go up, you extend your hip joint the extension of the hip will pull on the psoas muscle the psoas pulls in your diaphragm and it stimulates the diaphragmatic in-breath so if you synchronize if you synchronize a very simple bend your knees shoulders down arms down with straighten your legs shoulders up arms up and you go up and down like that and you do it at the pace of about six you know, three to six seconds going up, three to six seconds going down, and you breathe naturally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That will actually make someone's breath go in a pattern of three to six seconds in, three to six seconds out without hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. And that movement will start to also move blood through the body. It's a very simple exercise that, provided you can walk, you could probably do that yep. every hour, get up off your desk and do that.
0: Yeah. That would be really beneficial, I think. Yeah, and it's, uh, I sense there's this, it's kind of nice that there's not, it's not, It's not going towards a specific method that's a copy and paste for everyone. It's coming back to me as my body, how I'm moving with my my movement up and down and bringing awareness up for all of us, which I really like. You could actually take that one step further and just go
1: for a walk. Yeah. Except when most people go for a walk, they walk like statues or robots where the only movement comes from the glenohumeral joint at the yeah. shoulder and the hip joint. What they need to move is move their pelvis, move their shoulder blades, and actually walk, you know, like a really cool person or, yeah, a, yeah. or a sexy swagger, woman. You know, yeah, swagger. swagger yeah, 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 yeah. And when you walk like that, then your hips are also flexing, extending, and you're triggering diaphragmatic work and also thoracic work, and your, body, your internal organs move. I think that's, you know, you can't underestimate the value of a, of a good, go for a walk. Mm, yeah, I know, agree. It's, but a good walk doesn't have to increase your heart rate, mm. but, in a half an hour walk, we can just do so much for health, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so <clears throat> one of the interesting things that you have mentioned and really struck me, at, possibly because of the time that I heard it at the workshop, but this concept of how we're moving, how we're doing this activity, and and I'll probably bring this across into people, say, who are owning and running a business in day-to-day life. Uh, But this concept of how we're doing things, and you brought our attention to the hands, to the fingers. We might be doing a movement that was, say, lunge-based, you know, if if people are listening kind of in a lunge sort of start with the breathing, but then there was a recurring Reminder to come to the extremities, to the belly, to the face, to these, I think you called them bridges. Bridges, yes, yes. Uh, And the words were alongside with this, the attention to the the breathing and allowing this kind of subtler breathing, you use the words loving information. Yes, yes. (laughs) and when you walked into the workshop you came and gave everybody a hug and if i could <laughs> if i could articulate it in one word it was like a loving energy walked into the room oh that's nice no so it really was you know and that's that, that's why i was i was i felt that versus it's not the words that you had written that i was interested it was the feeling and i felt this for a few people not a lot though in, in you know in day to day life it's not everywhere because we're so caught up yes could you expand on, you know, for me straight away when I went back to the gym, I started to do all of the movements, even the more complex ones with attention to the face and jaw. And I was just amazed what happened. And yes. it was interesting, changed the music in the space, wow. changed, I changed a lot of things consciously, not to try to control it, but out of inquiry to see what happened, to see what this felt like, to bring that intention could you talk about this concept of loving information because I think I work with a lot of business owners coaches trainers if I could see one thing it's like culturally I feel we need more of this yeah maybe talk about it from movement or even in your day to day life like in traffic like you know yes. what yes. does this mean to you what is that what is that about look I think we have a very stressful world we live in and uh,
1: you know the you know, there's no sabre-toothed tigers like they talked about when we were in high school and they'd say, the sympathetic nervous system you know, would be provoked by the ancient caveman when he was faced with the sabre-toothed tiger and had to run away. And that's all I was told in high school. And of course, there was no sabre-toothed tiger, so I just ignored it after that. Mm. But you know, little did we realize that we were gonna have sabre-toothed jobs and sabre-toothed children and saber tooth relationships, and our life is very, very stressful to, to, um, to try and deal with that stress. I think the time we spend doing our posture, movement, and breathing in the daily life, in in, in our special time for ourselves, that's a really good learning time to prepare for life. But if you make your posture, movement, and breathing also stressful, then all it gives you is the message that life is also stressful. So that's one of the extra reasons why when I'm doing my posture, movement, and breathing, I'm looking towards creating these artificially induced semi-stressful situations in a controlled environment and really mastering relaxation while doing them. And then when I'm hit with a real stressful situation in life, I'm more prepared to deal with it in a relaxing way. Whereas if you're doing exercise where you're creating a stress response, then you're more likely to create the stress and it's much harder to deal with the stress in everyday life. The, um, 12 Bridges I talked about, which are a really lovely idea, which don't take too much uh knowledge to actually work out what they are like basically if you mention the concept to a doctor they can pretty much name 12 straight away i've done that a few times but i think the word bridge was first coined by a man called stephen elliott and he's got a website called coherence.com and it's a very lovely website but essentially there are 12 places in the body which have dual control in the body and they are um places where The conscious mind, your somatic nervous system can control them, and also the unconscious or the autonomic nervous system also has control as a default mode. So when we talk in the yoga world, They say that, oh, breathing's very important. Breathing is the link between body and mind. It's all about the breath. You know, breathing is your link between your conscious and unconscious or whatever, like this. Actually, it's not the breathing, it's the diaphragm. The diaphragm, or perhaps more correctly, it's the phrenic nerve. It's, you know, this place in the body which can breathe, and when we're asleep, it does a beautiful job, and we're not looking at it. It does a beautiful job. But if if we want to, we can control breathing you know, by itself, but not chest breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. Um, whereas, uh, say, the uh, biceps brachialis, you know, your, your elbow, you can choose to bend your elbow, but unless you're really sick, the elbow is not going to bend by itself. And similarly, with your blood vessels, the muscles in the, in the arteries, for example, they will constrict and expand. It's not usually under conscious control. So that's more of a something which is just autonomic whereas something like the elbow is something more somatic but places like the diaphragm have both dual control conscious and and unconscious control but the diaphragm is not unique in the body there are 11 other places like that it seems which include the pelvic floor front back middle so your urethra constrictor muscles the anal constrictor muscles the perineum and the and the genital muscles that control that, that link with that surprisingly also the fingers and toes have this control and the fingers and toes link to sitting bones and Uh, shoulder blades perhaps Mm. and so I often get people to connect from their shoulder blades to their fingers, sitting bones to toes. The neck also has this dual control. Um, The abdominal muscles and they're linked to the diaphragm I I think is is important to control the same way and the um, uh, salivary apparatus and the tongue, you know the ability to create saliva and swallow and how the tongue controls that and affects that. The uh, jaw There's lots of nerves in the jaw, you know, and the lips. It's funny, you know, when you see someone with a really clenched jaw and tight lips, you know, they're really relaxed. Not, No, they're not relaxed at all. But by being able to move your jaw and lips, it often brings relaxation. Similarly, the eyes, you know, like someone who's got healthy eyes will blink regularly, but someone who's obviously stressed has their eyes wide open the whole time. So blinking is really important and something which happens naturally, but in a stress state it doesn't. So by making yourself consciously blink a few times, it can help. You know, regain health, and also the inner eyes and the eye muscles that control their movement. So, for example, when you're asleep in the deepest, most regenerative state, your eyes roll right back behind the eye behind mm. the eyelids. So, to to be able to control eye movement is actually very important. And you know, any eye doctor will tell you that you know you've got to do eye exercises. But in yoga, we're always taught to look in certain places, and there's this special mudra in yoga, a special eye activity where you do look up. To your third eye and that's exactly what happens when you're asleep mm. so you know if sleep is our most regenerative mode then it's good to learn to practice the things you do when you're asleep and you know obviously getting your heart rate up breathing more and into the chest is not one of those things so the bridges i think these 12 bridges if you are genuinely in a place which is safe you know and there is no real threat the body can usually detect that. Obviously, if you're in a place where there really is a threat, like you're about to be run over, hit, attacked or whatever, you should definitely adopt a flight or fight mode. Mm. But um, but if there's no threat, then by just triggering each of these 12 places by gently um, focusing, say, to move your jaw a little bit, move your lips a little bit, blink a few times, create some saliva, you know, roll your eyes up, down, left to right, in a circle, whatever, Mm. to move your fingers, to move your shoulders a little bit, not to stretch them, just to move them gently while Mm. lengthening them, Um, to move your neck a little bit to check it's not tense. I actually focus on relaxing my pelvic floor open a little bit. Sometimes I'll tighten the pelvic floor, but for every pelvic floor tightening, I not only relax it, I actually push it out a little Mm. bit. And, you know, the perineum is not a muscle which ever relaxes so much it just has two tonal levels one which is tight contracted and one which is tight expanded the same way as our knees if oh, so what did it again sorry I turn that off. If um, if you stand with your knees a little bit bent, you can have the knee, uh, the quadriceps muscle, you know, the knee extensors. They're sort of if you bend the knees more, the quadriceps are lengthened and active. If you bend the knees less, they're lengthened and shortened. So the perineum also is a muscle which can either uh, be active in a shortened state or active in a lengthened state, and rarely is it um, just totally relaxed. Mm. It's always got tone, and that tone is usually affected by the diaphragm, but. Um, to always have a tense shortened is not a good idea. And that's what many people have. They have their whole pelvic floor just clenched too tight. Mm-hmm. And it's a big controversial topic, obviously, because yeah. many people say well, it's really important to tighten your pelvic floor. Yes but you also have to relax it. And many people never relax it. It's a little bit like um, anorexia, you know, everyone's going, you really make sure you should eat, you're worrying me, you're not, you know, you're not putting enough weight on. Look, more people die from overweight than underweight. It's a little bit of a red herring. Anorexia definitely is a problem. But there's many more people who have overeating problems than under eating problems. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with pelvic floor. There are people, you know, say someone post childbirth who needs to Tighten the pelvic floor. But most people are just alien retentive, let's face it. You need to release that part. And when you release it, you get much better leg control. You get much better diaphragmatic function. And so learning how to control that is important, I think. These 12 bridges are very important. Mm. And they'll help you if you if you can focus them. In any exercise, your whole exercise becomes a lot more relaxing and you become a lot more of a relaxed person. And hence then, you're going to get this feeling of parasympathetic dominance or... Parasympathetic balance with sympathetic tone. Mm. I mean, obviously, you don't want to turn off your sympathetic nervous system, otherwise, your heart stops functioning. You know, so you want just a good balance with a parasympathetic dominance, probably between 90 and 90% of the time. 99, 90, 99% of the time. We need to work our sympathetic nervous system, but I think most people do it too much mm. in everyday life and in their exercise. So I think in your exercise, if you spend between, uh, On on average, maybe about 10 minutes out of every 100 where you might get it up a little bit. Me, I usually do it a little bit less. Sometimes I'll go up to 30% where I might, in a workout, push myself harder. But I think even most uh, Olympic trainers will say for an Olympic runner, if they're getting them to run for 100 minutes... 80 minutes, they should talk normally. For 10 minutes, talking is a bit more stressed. Only for 10 minutes out of 100 would they make them actually not be able to talk. Mm. But they're only trying to get that person to the next Olympics. They don't care if they're going to lift to 100 or not. Mm. So I think for most of us, if we learn to talk normally during our exercise, we'll get a better result and make sure there's always the ability to control these bridges. And then you're going to have this parasympathetic dominance which is going to then give you this sense of loving information in your body, Mm. the sense that you're in a safe place, that there is uh, trust around you. You can trust the people around you. You can love them. They're Mm. not going to hurt you. Mm. And that's what I mean by moving good energy and loving information. Yeah,
0: it's really interesting. And I I did a workshop not too long ago, and it was on this idea of change. And it was a, a, a business, a group of about 15 people in a finance department who were going through some change, some structural change in the organization. And I kind of had come through as from coming from the gym and kind of on the health and wellness sort of side of it. And I walked into the space and it was really tense because they knew something was going on. And we started uh, just with some standing. We just stood there for about, I think it was about 10 minutes. Just closed the eyes, but then brought attention to, I had brought up about six, I think. Really just went through the fingertips and just brought attention to lengthening, relaxing. Uh, with the eyes as well, relaxing the eyelids and rolling the eyes around. and in the short space, and, and I, I would have butchered the bridges, <laughs> I would have not done all of the right bridges, it's okay. but I was just, I could see there was tension across every bridge right when we walked in, so I was yeah. like, okay, well let's try something here, Yes, and we opened the eyes, and they'd had, and they had no exposure to this kind of thing before, and I just asked how everyone, what people noticed. And it just softened the space completely. Amazing. It? it was, yeah. It wasn't an exercise, or it was no. It was really just a, a conversation we were having on the day for an hour, and mm. straight away there was uh, a little more communion between all of us, and we could then speak. People would share. People would talk about what was going on. Mm. So I think that this kind of the the straw that I'm kind of pulling at here is like. I think the work that you are doing the what I learned from you definitely but what I see culturally the work that you are doing is far beyond the movement as well people get into the thing because I might want to lose some weight I'm going to get some stronger mm-hmm. for me that Awareness around the bridges, remembering to check in. say I'm working to stand up, to change the focal point instead of being at a screen thirty centimeters away. To take the eyes to the horizon, roll them yes, around, yes, and lengthen yes, the fingers. Yes, yeah. It works. It does. I haven't look. had tension in the body for years. Amazing. And I used to be in the physio all the time. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you Firstly, I think everyone should go to check out your work to f- to figure that out for themselves. To go through it, right? Because you need to, to experience that. But if somebody's listening and and maybe let's flip to like because you run a business as well, and so do I. I've run this is my third small business. There's a lot of stress, yes. and we're trying to also, especially for me, right, coming from the exercise triathlons and then strengths, so you should try to keep going, you try to maintain this thing because we're taught it's. Yeah. Healthy right yes yeah, which now knows that there's a question mark on what what's going on there in terms of mm-hmm. how much and for the right reasons, if somebody's running the business or somebody's doing this thing, you know not to give a takeaway or a method, where would they start what do you I mean what what would you say to people um, to just start off with some movement and, and and kind of look into the stuff that you're talking about
1: yeah I mean, very simple movements where you're not feeling stretch or tension, but you're moving your whole body. I mean, yeah. the body's got seven main joint complexes, are ankles, knees, hips, waist, chest, neck, shoulders, elbows, wrists. And if they can just take each of those nine places and just move them a little bit, yeah. move them in little circles. Circles work well, but not circles where you stretch. And, uh, and then in... You know, you said you butchered the 12 bridges, but I mean, really, to give all 12 is too much. So to do what you did was much better, actually. So if I'm meeting students for the first time, people in my classes, I'll just put them in a simple position like you did, stand with the knees a little bit bent perhaps, the arms a little bit open, and I'll say, now, lengthen and relax and check. While your fingers are lengthened, can they move a little bit? While your shoulders are barred, can the shoulders roll a little bit? While your neck is lengthened, Can your neck move a little bit while keeping your face relaxed? Mm. Can your hips move a little bit while relaxing your pelvic floor? Can you make a gentle in-breath to your lower abdomen and make a passive breath out? And just that statement, and I do it in a few different simple positions. Mm. The positions I usually start my students with, as you may recall, is um, I give them eight basic spinal postures where that one we just described is a short spine, then I'll do a second one. Where you do the same thing with either the shoulders or shoulders and arms lifted high. The hips a bit lower, so your trunk is lengthened. And mm-hmm. I'll do the same, you know, relax. check. Fingers can move, neck can move, shoulders can move, you know, hips can move, tummy can breathe, and you're calm. Mm-hmm. Then I'll do the same thing with the body's bent slightly forward. The body Would bent slightly backwards. Would you like a couple of biscuits, darling? Chocolate biscuits or something? Recording. <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> it's
0: okay. Thank you. I'm, so sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I'm okay for now. That's, that's fine. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: So I came on that. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so so basically I teach people um, eight basic spinal movements and I figure that you know the trunk is most important Mm -hmm. in the body you know you can chop off arms and legs people still live chop off a trunk they don't live that long so give eight eight basic spinal movements so like you did with them standing as they did that's just basically what I'll call a short spine Mm -hmm. then do the same thing with the arms up and the hips down so their spine lengthens a little bit Mm -hmm. and get them to relax these basic bridges check the fingers can move check the shoulders can move check the neck can move check your hips can move check your tummy can breathe and you're calm then I do the same thing with the body bent slightly forward not at the hips but more at the trunk Mm. then the slightly bent backwards not at the hips but rather the um at the trunk without squashing their back and then lengthening one side lengthening the other side Mm. and then gentle twist to one side gentle twist to the other side just mainly with the trunk and checking those basic bridges and if I do that the pro, and then usually I finish with going lengthening and shortening, so it's basically ten movements. And those ten, which can take, if you do it slowly, it can take two or three minutes. Do it quickly, it can take one minute or less. Mm. And I think if, if I can show people that and say every hour, get up off your desk, do that, mm. that'd
0: be really helpful. Yeah, and you get that nice sort of fascial movement. Yes, Everything just yes. lubricates. Yes, yeah. You know? uh, so just to round that out, to not not to oversimplify. Uh, So what I'm hearing is basically if we're living, if we're living in today's, if we're living, you know, and I love technology and my work and all these things, right? Like I know I'm right in it. I spend some time, my parents are on a remote island in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I come back here. I love both, right? I love, you know, I love the, the, what we, the tools, the technology, the work we can do. What we're talking about here is the way that we engage in movement or exercise, whatever you want to call it, the intent that we bring, the way we breathe, the way we move uh, can have, and you mentioned in the workshop, physical, physiological, psychological impact. We can be sending messages to the physiology which can help us in terms of how we feel even if that 's in our work or relationships mm. based on the the level of the based on what we 're doing based yes. on so it 's not it 's not separate no more we it's not separate yes. we don't go to a fitness class in the morning and then go to yeah. a uh yeah. something else to try to feel good mentally later it 's yes, all the yes. same thing yeah 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 uh, it's amazing huh yeah. i mean it's not it makes total sense, but it's amazing how split that is from how a lot of us are living
1: yes, yeah, i mean because most people will do you know, they'll usually choose because there's not enough time. They'll go, I am stressed... I need to do some sort of relaxation or meditation class. And I'll go to that. Then they go, oh, I need I need to also do a workout. Yeah. And so then they have to find a separate time for a workout. And invariably the two of them work at cross purposes and there's not enough time for both, and they yeah. end up choosing one, and then the life suffers either their cardio, other either their physiology suffers because they're too stressed, or their anatomical body suffers because they're never exercising. Yeah. So it'd be really good if people could try and develop a regime which can be incorporated pretty much into any exercise form perhaps except for competitive sports to a certain extent where you could try and be doing something good for your anatomy while keeping your physiology healthy at the same time i mean i 've just spent uh, a couple of weeks with one of my teachers who you know he 's very good at teaching me posture movement and breathing but he 's also a phenomenal martial artist mm. and so the course I went to was self defense for women and it was an incredible course and I was one of the only men in the, in the course the rest I, I took my daughter but the sort of things they were doing were like you know i mean why would you do that to someone that would kill someone that would break their joint that would, but Of course, it's a self-defense course where you just use it as a last resort. But when he does it, you can see he's totally relaxed. Mm. You know, as most uh, martial arts is very, very aggressive, his movement is very, very soft, Mm. but it can lethally kill. So even high-intensity exercise, because he also teaches sports people and people like, you know, Mm -hmm. who are doing high-intensity stuff, and he can move lightning speeds, Mm. you know, like punch 12 times in a second. And yet he can do it in a really relaxed way so at a high level it is possible to maintain the idea of spreading good energy and loving information through your body aka enhancing cardiopulmonary function without overdoing heart rate and in enhancing good nerve function without overdoing the sympathetic nervous system maintaining a parasympathetic dominance which then gives you this loving information inverted commas at the same time as giving you the possibility of uh, maintaining good immune system function digestive system function reproductive system function which of course will turn off if you overdo the sympathetic nervous system Mm. so it is possible at a high level but i think most people are not at a high level but they just try to do too much Mm. with the idea that they think they're going to help their health because it helps muscles and bones but forgetting that there's much more to physical health than just your muscles and bones Mm. and then they suffer with things like joint problems arthritis um cancer diabetes and all sorts of the problems of old age when their physiology just shuts down as they get older Mm. It's
0: not both. And then, I mean, it's a whole other conversation, but also you've got anxiety, depression, yes, a problems. lot of mental yes. things where yes. then to go do, say, you know, two class? I've talked to people where it's, you know, two classes a day of high-intensity interval work mm. and then, you know, trying to deal with these other things as well. Life, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's a lot of tension in the mind and... Obviously, a lot of tension coming through the body. Like it makes sense, right? To mm-hmm. to um, bring this awareness. And one thing that that reminded me of, uh, for me, the breathing—not in a in a breathing with inverted sort of comma way—but uh, this free diving and spear fishing was the first introduction. Also, when yes. I was little. And yes. When you go, when I, I go back every year, and we go spear fishing is kind of how we get the food back in New Zealand when you start the first time of every season you've done it thousands of times before but there's a little bit of tension because yes. you're not practiced yes, yeah. and by the end there's calmness yeah. and the calmness exudes through the entire yeah. your hands you, you need to be <laughs> you need to stay alert enough to to watch for the fish yes, yeah. but the difference is then the eyes change the heart rate changes and the fish come in because they sense the, the difference calmness. yeah yes. when you are tense you don't see any fish they uh, know you're a in mile yeah, away interesting yeah and so kind of in, in that, a lot of that awareness came from uh, from the, the work with you in the in the, when we're in a room and there's somebody coming, okay, let's go through these movements, bring the attention to the hands, to the breathing, to the eyes. When we're in a controlled environment where we can learn that awareness, not spearfishing, right? It's a place where we can do it together, practice it. Then go away, go for the walk, bring attention to the hands, you know, and continue to learn and grow in that awareness seems like it's uh, possibly the, the best tool that I've seen to then help all these other domains in life. Because we can read a book around relaxation or awareness, but we might be holding the book with a tensed hand and not be getting it, right? It's like an intellectual exercise. When we do the work with you or your practice, that way of bringing attention to it, it's experiential. We're mm. learning it right now mm. and we pick it up together. And even now, as we sit, I can bring mm. attention to those things, mm. right? Yeah, to as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, is there anything else? I mean, that's, uh, we've covered some really cool stuff. And I think for me, the intent was that uh, I think people can start to kind of, Imbibe or feel the feel what we're talking about and then go deeper with you. Go to do whatever that is a class or a teacher training. For me, I want to teach teacher training, it's the next one in Goa. Oh, I would love yeah, you to come. How oh, far? would be really fun. Yeah, you're I really almost fun. went 2019, but ah. I was in New Zealand on the ah. Great Barrier. I would love that if you come to that. It would be really fun. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, and it's purely because I'm not probably going to teach the. No, it's just so. Us. Yeah, it's. Yes. Uh, and I would say to anyone, like, yeah. if you're going to get into exercise, the, the, the go do the teacher training yeah. and then go do your circuit yeah. class, great. Yes. Because you'll bring everything you learn into it. Yeah, the most important person to teach is ourselves. Yeah.
1: I, I never really wanted to call my, my Indian trainings teacher trainings. It's just that that's what's being done. you know I would rather call it a 200-hour intensive oh, where you learn see, about yeah. posture, movement and breathing. And that's the main thing I teach. But along the way, what I'll be showing is that if you were to show someone else, this might be a better way of doing it. But more importantly... If you're showing yourself, this is how you show yourself. So for me, every morning, my brain is dumb, my body is weak. I'm a beginner every day. So I know that I could do complex exercises, but I go, the first thing in the morning, I don't want to think. Let me do something simple. So I teach my own body in my daily practice the same way as I teach students. And so in my teacher training, that's the most important thing I think I can teach. How to teach. I teach ourselves, you know. And then in the practices we do, a lot of it is just really... Basic stuff which for most people doesn't even look like modern yoga and I think you know you can take it and just do it as a very simple form
0: or in its most extreme form it becomes a sort of exercise that I see you do. Well I was just going to say you know you, we're talking about these movements and the words basic or simple have yes. come up yeah. when we did this class there was well, maybe 30 of us at the end most people with lots more experience than me we were doing this these simple movements. Started off, you know, very, and and you are at the front doing them very yes. easily. We're following along. And before we know it, we're, we're sweating. Yes. Everyone's drenched. Yes. And then, with you know, there's some basic balances getting thrown in there. Yes. And pretty much by the end, nobody could do. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you want, like to continue, and of course, all of our egos want to keep yeah. yeah. Going. But we were sweating. Yes. And it's hard, and we left warm. Yes. And, uh, yeah. It kind of energised in a warm way but also slept well. It's like this balance nice, of, nice. you know, um, exertion but also not intense. And yeah. But it's not it, – the, the, I guess what I'm getting at is that it's not necessarily easy if you don't want it to be, yes, right? It keeps exactly. going.
1: That's exactly right. And what I try and do in the, in the classes that I teach all over the place is I go, look, you can do this and it can be a really simple exercise – that feels like you're not doing much, but it has potent effect. Mm. Or if you want to, you can use this form to do really difficult exercises and make them safer, more effective, and go deeper into them without the risk of injury that you would otherwise have if you just did it a normal way. Mm. And so you can use it either way, but they can be very, you know, high-intensity exercise if you want to make them that way, and it's quite fun sometimes. Mm. But really, for most people, the simplest exercises are the best. And if I could maybe finish with one story. I Yeah, had a, yeah,
2: of course.
1: I had a, you know, like the simple practice that, that I did with you that day with the group. Invariably, I'm also dealing with, there's always two extremes. There's always the ones who are really beginner and really weak with problems. And there's always people who are much stronger, more capable, more used to having a workout. So I will practice something in the middle, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a little bit not too easy, a little bit not too hard. But I'm always saying tense less, stretch less, breathe less, think less, like this. And um, some time ago, one of my best mates, who I've known for 30 years, he's been a bit sick, and he was quite ill with Lyme's disease, and I said to him, come and practice with me if you want. And he said, um, "He said no, no, you know, it's too much. And I said, come on, we'll do it. It's, we'll make it really easy, just some simple spinal movements. He said, no, even that's too difficult, even though he'd done it before with me. And I said, no, I promise we'll make it really gentle. So I, I stood in front of him and so he could follow me, and I did these and I made it extra gentle, really like, you know, so I, don't, I, I love him. I want to make sure he's going to be okay, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm extra gentle. Whereas if it was my own practice, first thing in the morning, I would have done something because I want to develop and I want to grow and I want to do something difficult. Mm. But invariably I always do too much as well, still at yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, level yeah. I am. But because he was there and I was caring about him, I made it really gentle, really gentle. We did about 20 minutes and I turned and looked at him he says, Oh, Simon. I feel amazing. I feel so much better. And I went, wow. But that wasn't the surprise. The surprise was, I feel so much better. I go, my God, I didn't realise that by backing off that much and by really focusing on the things that I'm teaching, which is just to really move very gently but actively from the core with really natural breathing in a fluid way, no jarring, nothing, it actually helped me so much, yeah. And it was a big surprise. Sometimes you have to help others to
0: help yourself, you know. Like this, it was really magical. Yeah, oh, it's a lesson. I, same for me. Continually mm. learning it. Mm. I feel tension, even uh, you know, might be in the mind or the mood a little bit and I think back to what I did physically, and I'll pick up a session, and I would have gone too much. Like it's, mm. it's amazing to carry mm. over. Mm. Uh, that was that was beautiful, and thank you for your time. Is there anything else that you want to? Add or that comes to mind.
1: No, if if you if people want to learn more about what I have to say, you can go to uh, yogasynergy.com dot is, is my main website. I also have simonborgolivia.com uh, You can also go to Simon Synergy on Instagram or my name Simonborg Olivia on Facebook. You know, there's also I, I know on Instagram I. I've done a lot of posts and when I actually added up the text, it was like 300 pages of notes, oh, wow. which I'm sure hardly anyone's ever read. Yeah. But if you want information, there's, there. there's also a YouTube channel under the name Yoga Synergy and there's about 200 videos there, some of which are lectures or some of which are little sequences you can follow. And if you like to message me or write to me, I'll, I'll maybe send you a link to some, to some sequences that you can have a look at if you want to. That'd be fun.
0: Yeah, I've done... Uh one of your pranayama courses on, oh, on stars you? was it oh yeah, yeah. when i very oh, okay. first came across you it's, oh good okay i recommend that it was really good oh and nice. it, yeah pretty much anything I've, I've read most of the um posts on your sites and i recommend anyone who's interested in the movement or the breathing to just get stuck in and devour oh, all of that well, and lots. then also make it what do they do um we mentioned the teacher training. Would they just find all that stuff on the site? Yes, Synergy? yes. If
1: you go on the, on the Yoga Synergy website, you'll find lots of the details of my live training around the world, including the one-month trainings and the sometimes weekend workshops all around the world. I'm doing something most weekends. And uh, we have lots of online courses on those sites you can have a look at, and I'd love to work with you. And thank you very much for listening, and thank you very, very much for coming to see me today and talking to me, and it's just an honor to work with you. Yeah. I really respect what you do. And, uh, oh, thank working. You. really. Thank you very much. Very- how oh, beautiful.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, as always, or feedback, send it along to john at johntmarsh.com and we'll bring it into a future episode. If you enjoyed this one with Simon, then please feel free to share it, send it along. That's the most helpful thing that you can do for me and is always appreciated. Otherwise, I'll see you on the next one. Thanks.